All right, well, we're back in spiritual gifts, not the saga of, my, of our parenting and the difficulties and the blessings of that. But um, let me pull my notes up here. We're back in a week, I believe this is week 12 of our spiritual gifts series. And it has been a sweet study for me. I trust it's been helpful for you. And it's crazy that uh, after today's message, we will have worked through all of the spiritual gifts. Um, there's a lot of them. And uh, that's a, that's a, a sweet, um, sweet opportunity. So I'll take next Sunday as a final sort of catch-all message. I know some of you won't be here, um, so that's okay. But I just got to end it now. I can't wait till next semester, okay? Um, I'll do kind of a next steps message, like, okay, I've taught you all about these gifts. So kind of how do you assimilate this data? And then, you know, as you're thinking about next semester, if you're going away for the summer, like what, what should be on your mind and heart as you hit the ground um, in the fall next year? or as you're transitioning to whatever church you're going to go to next. All right, well, uh, today we're going to focus on two of those final gifts, um, the gifts of mercy and giving, right way down at the bottom of the list there. We've not covered those gifts yet, so we're going to spend today on those. And as you can see in that chart, uh, both of these gifts are focused, uh, or I'm, excuse me, are found in Romans 12. So you can see the far right side, Romans 12, that's there's four gift lists. And these two are found only in Romans 12. So we'll go ahead and open our time together by taking a quick look at this. Sorry, let me get this off. A quick look at this uh, verse. Romans 12 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he lists some. Then down in verse 8, the one who contributes in generosity. There's the gift of giving. And the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the one who contributes, the one who does acts of mercy. We're saying the gift of mercy and the gift of giving. And these gifts are very similar, as you'll see, but there's enough differences that kind of warrant us breaking them apart and looking at them uh, individually. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at, um, first we'll look at the gift of mercy. Start there. And I'm starting there just because it's, it's a good segue from the gift of giving. Excuse me. Whew, I'm getting jumbled in my mind too, Rich, not just yours. The gift of serving last week. Um, this is a good segue into the gift of mercy. So we'll ask and answer some questions here about mercy. And first question we need to ask is, what exactly is this gift? What is this gift? So... If we're going to define the gift, we first got to get our minds around what it means to show mercy or to be merciful. Like the, the, this, Paul uses this word very purposefully here when it comes to the gift of mercy. And I don't know if you're like me, but my assumption is when you hear the, word, the, the idea of the verb, be merciful, what do you think of? Doing what? Forgiving, right? Yeah, that's, that's the first thing. I know the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear mercy, I think forgiveness. And that's correct. That's a good impulse. We show mercy. You can think of this. We show mercy, and one of those ways we show mercy is in forgiving. Okay? We're canceling somebody's debt that they can't pay. But that's not all this word means. Okay? It's actually a bit more broad. You know, if you step back, there's a broader idea to mercy. And if we put it simply, to show mercy means you show kindness or concern to someone with a serious need. Okay? You show kindness or concern, and you show that to somebody that's in dire straits. It's in a serious need. 
And that serious need might be their sin and their need of forgiveness, right? But it could be other things too. It might also be a sickness or a disease or even demonic oppression or some type of suffering. And that's why when you're reading the Gospels, it might, it might be interesting kind of to hear this language. The lepers, when they seek healing, what do they ask for? Mercy, right? Mercy. Son of David, have mercy on us. And so do the blind. And even a Canaanite woman asked Jesus to show mercy to her daughter by delivering her from an evil spirit. So, again, just pulling back, giving you a broader category of this idea of mercy. It's not merely forgiveness. That's one aspect of it, but it's more broad. It has to do with showing kindness or concern to somebody who's in, who's in serious need, whatever that need may be. Okay? Does that make sense? So now, if you want to flesh out what this kind of tangible mercy looks like in real time, uh, we find a shiny example in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you can go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 10. I don't have it on the screen. Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. We'll pick it up in verse 33, kind of middle of the story, but you know the story, right? Man gets robbed in the the parable. Man gets robbed, he's beaten, he's left for dead. A priest walks by, ignores him. A Levite walks by, ignores him. But then a Samaritan treats him with incredible kindness. And so, as we'll see, it's the gift of mercy in kind of high definition. And notice, we'll pick it up in verse 33. I just, I'm just, we're just parachuting in here, and I'm drawing these, these things out, because I think it describes this sort of, we get an illustration of what this gift of mercy looks like in real time. Notice in verse 33 that first, this man, this Samaritan, sees the plight of somebody who's suffering, and then he feels compassion. So verse 33, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, Guy beaten, left for dead. He had compassion. He felt compassion. So really, the the first thing we see about the gift of mercy is it starts with this compassionate heart. And then that compassion, that inner compassion, leads him to, to, to care for this man, to tend to his physical wounds, specifically in verse 34. It says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and pouring on oil and wine. So he's caring for his, his physical body there. But he doesn't just leave him on the side of the road after he kind of, you know, bandages him up and pours some oil on him. He does, he does more. He provides transportation and then also housing in the second half of verse 34. He says, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now at this point, you might think he's done enough, right? Like he's managed his wounds, cared for him, he took him to the inn, he set him, you know, put him down there, but that's, but that's not enough for this man who has mercy here. He knows that he must see this, this poor, beaten up guy, he needs to see him through to full recovery. Look in verse 35. It says, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So there's clearly a great cost to this showing mercy even a financial cost to this man, not only time. And so it's going to overlap with the gift of giving significantly, as we'll see in a moment. 
But I just want to point these out uh, to you, just kind of like, these are, these are a good description of this gift of mercy. And now you might think, well, how do you know that's mercy? And he's just not just being kind to this man. Well, it's how he describes it here at the end of the parable. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then the man that's being told the parable said, the one who showed him mercy. So, in the lawyer's mind, that's the guy who was receiving the parable, he interpreted everything Jesus said as mercy. Like he's showing mercy to this guy who's in dire straits, right? He's in, he's in need. So again, that's all background, just kind of helping you see that. And then, so that's a parable illustration. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 9. And we'll see another real-time illustration, not an illustration, but a real-time example of this in the life of the church. In Acts chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, picking up in verse 36, there's a disciple, a woman named Dorcas, who, who dies. And she's raised back to life from, by Peter. But I want you to notice, um, we'll just read the story, but I want you to notice the characteristic of this woman's life. So now there was in Joppa, verse 36 of Acts 9, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works. And here it is, acts of charity. So that, if you're an underliner, you can underline that. There's the mercy word group is in that word itself. These acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come with us, to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the Notice this. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics, and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So, the point is that she had an incredible ministry to a down-and-out group, the widows. Like this has been poor. I mean, a widow in that century was, is, a, is a poor woman. You know, she doesn't have a husband who can provide for her needs. And so here comes Dorcas. She sees the plight, that these are ladies in trouble. She comes in. She's, she spends her time and energy making them clothes. And she falls ill and dies, and there these widows are endeared to her. And so they're weeping. Um, so obviously Peter raises her from the dead, but my point here is I'm just showing you another, another example of this gift of mercy at work. Dorcas saw, saw the need and moved in to help that need. She felt compassion and began to make them close. She practically met the need. So again, all that's just background to when it comes to defining, answering this question. What is the gift? What's this gift of mercy? Here's how I would define it. I'll put it over to the side so we can keep it up on the screen for a minute. I'll call it the ability to compassionately attend to those who are in need. To compassionately attend to those who are in need. That brings together both this idea of compassion and empathy that I think this gift has with it and the action that goes with it, attending to them, meeting their needs. And it's specifically those who are in need, those, those needy folks in the congregation who are having difficulty caring for them, themselves for whatever reason. It's the ability to feel genuine empathy for those who are suffering 
And then to put that compassion into action, into acts of love that alleviate the suffering. That's the gift of mercy. So, it leads us to the next question. Okay, then, well, that's, that's the gift. How do I know that I have it? What would be some signs or indicators? And again, this is not rocket science. People with this gift feel profound compassion for those who are in need. Okay? It doesn't mean the rest of us are heartless, right? It just means these folks have a, have a profound, they feel a profound compassion. You are burdened for others very easily. And you're especially burdened for those kind of down and outers, right? Those marginalized, those who are going through really tough times. You're not afraid of that. You get emotionally involved with the plight of those kind of people. And your friends probably describe you with, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the friend with the huge heart, right? The bleeding heart, you know. Um, and you, you just, you feel others' pain acutely. So, first indicator is you'd have that profound compassion for those in need. You see it, you can't look away. And then, next would be your first instinct, then, is to likely alleviate someone's pain or suffering. Now, again, are these good instincts for all of us to have? Yes. <laughs> As Christians. We're all commanded to show mercy and to do these things. But the pe- people with gifts have these. This is almost like a, a, a spirit-born instinct of like, okay, I've got I've to move in here to help this person. And that means that you'll get involved in situations with lots of needs. You'll try to find ways to meet those needs. You almost seem to be drawn toward it. You find yourself involved in lots of situations with people who are suffering. You find yourself coming alongside others who are, who are destitute, and it seems like the natural thing to do is just to help them. And you find yourself thinking, How else, what else am I supposed to do? To love, like, this is what love is. And people with this gift often gravitate toward ministries that help pair them with people in need. You know, they gravitate toward ministries that help hurting people. You know, they're the first people to like sign up for visiting the shut-ins, doing ministry to the widows in our congregation, delivering the baskets that we do, you know. Thinking about going and visiting people in the hospital might be a little little nervous, but it's like, man, that'd be cool. Like I would really like to to move in in that direction and 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 help those folks, pray with them, see what their needs are. These kind of folks are typically the ones that are initiating those meal sign-ups, you know, for the families that are going around when the family's in need. Husband's lost a job or they've just hit some major medical problem. It's just these people step in, like, we've got to get them meals, we've got to, you know. They're, they're the ones that are kind of at the front of that charge um, saying those things. It may be some indicators. It's also not uncommon for people with this gift to be drawn toward vocations that focus on meeting physical needs of others meeting those needs, uh, helping those hurting people. It makes sense, right? Like nursing or medicine, things like hospice care, social work. Um, you know, when, you, when you're in a family scenario, those, these kinds of folks are, are drawn toward fostering and adoption and, and some of those kinds of things. So that's just some indicators, maybe, of, of how you might see this gift. Again, these are just anecdotal, but 
think kind of gives you a picture. Get your, get your mind going in a direction here. Third question then would be, what should I watch out for if I think I might be gifted in this area? What should I watch out for? And the first thing I would say, the first pitfall would become becoming too emotionally invested. You're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean that these kind of people can get really wrapped up in the emotion of a situation. And that's a, I mean, that's a strength, right? The strength is also the limitation. And this might lead them to obsess over meeting that person's need to the detriment of other responsibilities in their life. It might lead to them overcommitting to the kind of care that they think they can give. And really what's underneath this is like a, a taking on of God's role for yourself. Like you kind of, you kind of, you don't really realize you're doing it, but you're sort of stepping in and saying like, if, if I don't meet this need, nobody else will. And you're implying that God's not the one that's caring for them. You are. You take on too much. You think you're the key person, the only person who is going to alleviate suffering. And if you don't, they, they won't get relief. And it's a great, it's a great comfort to know for the, the merciful folks that God's the one, God's the, God's the God of mercy. Uh, and he loves his people. He's going to take care of his people. And if you don't do it, he'll raise somebody else up to do it. So sometimes we can become too emotionally invested. Others, other times, another pitfall to this gifting is these folks, due to their compassion, can be more easily manipulated. They can fall prey to manipulation. What do I mean by that? Well, someone's in a tough spot. They're suffering in some way. And then they, they give you the sob story. And I know that sounds super cold to even say it like that. But they, they give you the sob story. And it pulls on your heartstrings. But they're probably not giving you all the data. Okay? They may present themselves as the victim of circumstances when in reality they might be the cause of their own plight. And sometimes people are in these tough spots because of their own unwise choices and their own unwillingness to change. It doesn't mean we don't help them. We definitely help them. But it means that we help them with wisdom and discernment. What's actually best in this scenario and those with the gift of mercy can just jump right in, assuming the best, and that's a great quality, assuming the best. I'm just saying this, this can become a pitfall, right? I'm not saying you're never going to get taken advantage of. We don't need to be afraid of that. That's like, should be our job description as Christians. Can you imagine Christ? Like, oh, I'm worried about being taken advantage of. It's like, whoops. I guess he got crucified, Right? I would say that's being taken advantage of to some degree. So we, we, don't, we don't need to be afraid of that. But we just want to, what we do want to be careful of is not loving people well. And so I think in this scenario, and, and it kind of leads to another pitfall. Along those same lines, another pitfall with this gift is that sometimes in an attempt to alleviate pain, these folks might actually be enabling sinful patterns, right? Or unwise lifestyle choices. So what do I mean there? Enabling sinful patterns. Well, you, you think you're doing something, you think you're alleviating suffering, but like let's say, hypothetically, you keep on paying that family's rent because every month they don't have enough money to meet it. And they just come to you and they're just like, man, we're just down on our luck again and we didn't get, we didn't get the hours needed and I'm just 
can you help me with the rent? And you're like, yes, you know, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to eat beans and rice so we can, you know, help you with your, with your rent. Seems like a good thing, but they're actually undisciplined in their spending. And so you, you root around a little bit and you find they're going to Starbucks every morning. They have a Netflix subscription. They're watching, you know, all kinds of things. And it's just like, whoa, 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 hang on. Like, why, why do we not have money for rent? Uh, because we're, you're, you're, you don't, you've never been discipled in this, in this area of how to, how to handle your money, what to prioritize. And again, we don't pass judgment on that, but we just we want to love them wisely. If you keep on paying their rent, you're going to keep enabling these poor choices and the lazy work ethic. So Paul definitely would want us to make sure that we're teaching those who, who steal not to steal anymore. That's what freeloading is. It's stealing but to work hard with their hands so that they can be part of the solution. And so here, the pitfall is the suffering. The consequence is likely intended by the Lord to motivate these people to change. And if you're just all the time taking the consequence away, that can be a pitfall. All right? And finally, these folks are sometimes more prone to discouragement when they don't think that what they're doing is working, like if their plight isn't taken away. They often work hard to alleviate the suffering, but when the Lord chooses to keep it in someone's life for His own wise purposes, that merciful person can sometimes get really discouraged. Like the circumstances just aren't changing. They think they failed in some way, or they start doubting God's goodness or His control, or they start wondering if God's working against their own efforts, you know? But they need to realize that sometimes God ordains suffering as a means of transformation, right? A means of a a path to greater glory. And you might throw all your essential oils you can at the issue, and they're still sick. They still have chronic pain. So, you just need to come up under that, you know, if, if you have this gift of mercy. All right, so next question. How can I maximize it? So if you like essential oils, I'm sorry, that, just, that was like really random. <laughs> I'm not dogging that, okay? It sounded like a slam, but probably stereotyped for a reason. Anyway, I'm going to get out of that hole. <laughs> We're going to get back into the lesson. All right. How can I maximize this? If I haven't lost you merciful people already, uh, how can I maximize this gifting? Well, you you would want to definitely seek to cultivate a consistently cheerful attitude as you use this gift, okay? Romans 12, 8. Paul says that the one who does acts of mercy, to do it with cheerfulness. So as you use your gift, as you come alongside the suffering, it's thrilling at first because you're using your gift. Like this is what the Lord's gifted you in, and it's, it's good. But over time, your attitude can shift. You know, it's easy to fall into the trap of serving others begrudgingly or reluctantly, of thinking of it as a duty rather than a privilege, even for those with the gift of mercy. So, seek to cultivate this kind of privileged, cheerful heart as you use your gift. And then obviously learn, to, learn, learn from others. Learn from others who do this well, who, who show mercy well. Observe how they do things, how they think. How, what they've learned over the years of, of some of the pitfalls even, like what I've said and beyond. You know, they're going to know those pitfalls better than, than, than me. 
Learn from others. And then finally, serve in a ministry area that, that is aimed at mercy. You can go on our website and you can see we've got all these ministry teams. They're called contribute teams on the website. And that will give you an idea of some of these sort of formal areas that you could serve in. And think about one that's sort of closely aligned with, with your gifts in this area of, of, of mercy. So that we have a, I don't even know if this is a team listed, but there, it's called a TLC ministry team, which is, visits our shut-ins and widows. And several of you in this, even in Boundless, serve on that team. Um, do tremendous work there. There's obviously the medical team. We've talked about that. And uh, I saw one time I saw a real-time, just it was like very evident, you know, the gifts. Uh, we had a lady passed out in the service. Some of you probably were here. Remember that. It stopped the service and for about 15 minutes and we couldn't move her. They were afraid that she may have hurt her neck. And medical people finally came. We moved her out to the prayer room. And it was just like the medical people were there, but they weren't just medical people because they had the gift of mercy because they were like, we got to do this. we got to go to the hospital with her. we got to care for her. we got to make sure her needs are met. And it was just, it was beautiful just to kind of see the, see that gift on display. So medical team, you know, definitely geared toward those merciful folks. A visitation, like hospital visitation team, they, they, go to, they go to visit people in the hospital. Even biblical counseling, like if you want to help people in discipling. Uh, this gift can be tremendous in a biblical counseling scenario. Being able to come alongside people and really put, put uh, you kind of put a shoulder under their burden with them. All right, we've got to keep moving. Closely related to the gift of mercy is the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Also in Romans 12, so we don't need to turn there. Still, the ESV translates it con- uh, contributing, the one who contributes. Uh, it's the gift of giving. So what exactly is this gift? This one's obviously more intuitive. It's just like it sounds, right? At its heart, this term involves sharing your stuff. Okay? Sharing your stuff. It's, and just like all the gifts, we're all called to share our resources. Over in Ephesians 4, Paul instructs those who were once thieves, like we said, not to steal anymore, to learn to work hard with their hands. And do you know why? So that, he says, they may have something to share, same verb, something to share with those who are in need. So we're all called to work for a surplus. We're all called to work for a surplus so that we can, so that we can be generous and share so we can meet needs. But when it comes to the gift of giving, in particular, there are those who stand out among us for their generosity. Right? And I think that's at the core of it. They stand out for their generosity. They give sacrificially, and the Lord often entrusts them with resources precisely because they're a good conduit of them. Catch that? The Lord often, not always, because obviously riches can be a pitfall too, (laughs) a major one. Um, but often the Lord entrusts certain people in the congregation with resources because they live with an open hand. They're a conduit of those resources. So here's how I define the gift of giving. It's the ability to generously and freely share your possessions to advance the mission of the church. The ability to generously and freely share your possessions to advance the mission of the church. There's a generosity here, and there's a freeness of there. There's no strings attached, right? And it's possessions. We're not just talking about, oh, I just give, you know, I give my time. Like, yeah, okay, great. But the gift of giving is associated with resources, you know, tangible resources that are going to go to help things advance the mission of the church. 
And it's closely related to the gift of mercy because those who care for the poor and the afflicted often give their possessions and use their own resources to do so, right? The gift of giving might include giving to the poor and afflicted, but it's more broad. It includes any kind of giving that advances the mission of the church. It's not just to the demographic of the needy, right? It's any, any, any initiative that advances the mission of the church. And you also might think, you know, you also might have the gift of giving, but you might not have the gift of mercy. You're like, huh? How does that work? Well, it might overwhelm you to get super involved with the afflicted. Like, whoa, like, that was super overwhelming. It doesn't mean I won't do it, but, like, that's not my wheelhouse. But I can write a check. Like, I know how to do that. And I would love to do that, right? So you might rather provide funds to somebody who's gifted in mercy and that, let that merciful person attend to those needs with your money, right? Great. Often these gifts go together, but not always. Now, when we think of this gift, we obviously think on a larger scale normally. You know, like as an opportunity for the wealthy. And you know what? That's, that's true. That's actually true. Um, often the Lord grants wealth to those with this gift so they can maximize the gift. We see an example of this sort of large-scale giving in Acts chapter 4. Um, if you want to go ahead and flip back, I think you're in Acts 9 right now. You can flip back to Acts 4. Actually, I got it on the screen. Look at that. Acts 4, the church is thriving in Jerusalem, and it says there was not a needy person among them. Why? For as many as were owners of lands, plural, <laughs> or houses, plural, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. No strings attached, right? And it was distributed, implication, by the leadership, it was distributed to each as any had need. And now here's a practical example. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here you have general, as many as the owners of lands or houses, and then you have a specific in Barnabas himself. So the point there is, this is not just your rank-and-file field worker. These are owners of lands, right? They have resources at their disposal. They have properties, and they can liquidate those properties and give the proceeds to the church. So just giving you one example of that, and Barnabas was one of those guys. But to, to think that you have to have large amounts of wealth to have this gift simply isn't true either. We saw the example of Dorcas earlier. She loved to make clothes for the widows and give it to them. That's mercy plus giving, and it's on a much smaller scale. Okay? But it's still a generous and free sharing of possessions, and a tangible demonstration of Christ's love. So you can still have this generous and free heart, gifted with giving, and yet have fewer resources to give. And this gift will also just go, it'll go beyond just money, in terms of thinking like dollars, to other things you have, other possessions you, you have, right? And to be generous with those. Many of you are generous with your cars, right? As you give, as you give rides back and forth. We see in Acts 16, Lydia was generous with her home. After she was converted, she probably had a bigger house, and she used that home 
as a meeting place for the congregation, the, the new church plant in Philippi. So again, gifts can include this giving is, is of, of all your resources. They're all, they all belong to Christ anyway, and you're saying, okay, I want to leverage these for the mission. And you have a, you have a specific spirit-given ability to do that well. So how do I know that I have it? How do I know that I have it? Well, people with this gift are always giving their stuff away. Right? They're always sharing what they have. They know that they've been blessed eternally with Christ and with the kingdom and the new creation that's coming, and they're thinking, I'm just so unworthy of this, and I just want to pay it forward. You know? I just want to meet needs. They're super generous people, and they're willing to do without themselves to bless someone else. They're the people that you want to draw your name at Christmas. They love giving gifts, right? And not only that, but people with this gift are usually very industrious. Not always, but usually very industrious. Because they came into this wealth, like they, 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 they earned it. Their hard work yields them a surplus from which they can share. These types of people see the spiritual importance of making money, right? And are usually good at it. So, side note to all you Liberty folks. Please don't think you have to do nonprofit work. That's all I hear. Nonprofit. Do this nonprofit. Do that nonprofit. Like, great. But make a profit. Like, don't just don't love money, right? Don't don't fall prey to the love of money. But if you have the ability to work hard, to be industrious, earn money so that you can maximize that money for the kingdom's sake. And along those same lines, often people with this gift are very careful in how they spend their money. They're careful in how they spend their money. That kind of surprises us sometimes when like really, really wealthy people are like, no, that's not a good deal. Like, don't buy that. I'm not going to buy that. You're like, you're a multimillionaire. Like, what are you, what are you saying? Well, how did they get to be a multimillionaire? Because they made wise decisions, right, with their, with their money. When you look at their own lives, they don't seem over the top at all. They choose to live far below their means because they want to have a surplus to be generous with. They know they're simply stewards of God's resources, and so they want to make the best investments. Or, as Jesus says, they want to invest in money bags that won't grow old. An example of this, this is not just business tycoons, okay? An example of this is a pastor named John Wesley. He's a pastor in the 1700s. This shocked me, okay? When he died, he only had a coat and two silver spoons to his name. But in his lifetime, they calculated how much he had given. In today's value, over $11 million. A pastor. I mean, he's a well-known pastor, right? In wide influence, wide ministry. But over $11 million today in giving. George Mueller was very similar. At his death, he had $850, which was the equivalent of $62,000 to his name, but had given away the equivalent of $13 million. They lived below their means so they could give more away. 
Another potential indicator of this gift is that these people take initiative in meeting financial needs or blessing other people. Meaning they don't wait around to be told. I'm, I'm just giving you indicators of these gifts, right? Like these people are often like at your doorstep like with the thing. And it's like, well, how did you, did you know I needed that? You know, it's like because they pay attention. And that's, they know that you like these kind of things. And this is what they're going to bless you with. They often seek it out. They take initiative to supply the resource. They love to be a blessing to others, and they take special delight in doing so. And these people also get excited about seeing a ministry initiative take shape through their resources to make it happen. Right? It's a sweet thrill for them to be able to do this, humanly speaking. It's a sweet thrill for them to, to hear an idea from the elders and then to bring it to reality through their resources. Supporting that new church plant or providing the seed money for a new building or some parking lot or whatever, you know, it's just it might seem mundane, but it's to facilitate ministry. And they, they, they get excited about those things, about using their resources for more ministry. All right? There might be some indicators if you have the gift. So, what are some pitfalls? What should I watch out for? All right, I've got to move quick here. A common pitfall with people who love to be generous is that they usually have a hard time not giving to something, right? So we might call it giving to every need. Just because there's a need, though, and just because you have the gift of giving does not mean that you have to give to it. This is especially true for ministries outside the church. It's not wrong at all to give to nonprofits or aid organizations. I'm not dogging nonprofits, okay? They're very important, very useful, okay? It's not wrong to give to those, but you've only got so much money to give. And sometimes givers can be spread thin trying to give to every little thing that comes across their path rather than making their money count. And making it count in the church. When you give to the general budget of a healthy church, you're mimicking how the early church laid the resources at the apostles' feet. The leaders, the God-appointed leaders, determined how best to use those resources in Acts chapter 4. They determined and set, or we could say leaders now, determine how best to use the resources of the church. They determined and set the church budget so that we can be sure that our funds are being maximally used. And not only does the general budget keep the lights on, but it supports our paid pastors, it supports our missionaries, our church planters, it saves for future missions initiatives, like we're about to launch Michael out, we've been saving for that, to launch him out. And it helps us care for the needy right here in our church. We have a fund that goes toward those things that, people, that we dole out pretty liberally to, to needy church members. And so the point there is just the general budget. When you just write that check to the general budget, that's going to all those things that have been vetted and carefully looked at by the elders and those gifted in the church with, with, in those ways. So be judicious in what you're giving to and make sure that the majority of it's funneled through a healthy church. Again, many of you aren't going to be here, so I'm not trying to pad our pockets. Like we're, we're talking about in a healthy church that has good leadership that understands how to use money and resources that are going to be doing the vetting for you. The best thing you can do is give to that church and make that your predominant, your predominant donation. All right? Another pitfall would be giving with strings attached or giving with impure motives. The danger here is that you're giving with some other motive than giving unto the Lord. 
for giving it to him, essentially, to, to use as he sees fit, as he, as he moves the elders to make the decisions, which is how the Lord works in the church, moving those elders to make the decisions. And again, I'm, I'm emphasizing healthy church because this, this can go sideways in an unhealthy church. But even if it goes, goes sideways in an unhealthy church, God is not mocked. Like, he exposes the frauds, doesn't he? And we kind of see that, and we're like, oh, no. But I'm saying, oh, yeah, like, thank you, Lord, for exposing that. Because now those are your resources that you're going to expose, and you're going to rechannel for the right purposes. So the Lord's not mocked with these things. So you can trust as you give to the church in those ways to give to him as he sees fit. Maybe you want to start your, you know, these people kind of sometimes want to start their pet ministry. And use it to, to make sure that you can, they fund this ministry to make sure they can control it. Or maybe you've even threatened the funding of it if you don't, it doesn't go the way you want it to go. You're saying, well, I'm, I'm the one that's bankrolling this thing, you know. Or worse, maybe you're tempted to try to gain influence over the elders by your big donations. Those are pitfalls, and sadly, they happen in a church. If you're gifted in giving, be careful. Because when we give, we give fundamentally to the Lord. We need to take our hands off of it. Okay. Another danger in giving, and closely related, is craving the recognition for your giving. Jesus warns us about this in Matthew 6. He says we should give in secret, meaning that what we should really care about is what God sees in our hearts when we're giving. And that God sees it, and not men. We should care about what God knows, not our friends or our pastors. And that way, we won't lose our reward. That's what Jesus says. That's a sermon in itself. But Now, this needs to be caveated, this giving in secret thing. Because those gifted in giving also serve as examples to the flock. Right? So, it's not like I'm in sin if I, somebody knows how much I give or that I, I gave a big donation. It's just what's going on in your heart. Is that what you're craving? Are you wanting that influence? Are you wanting that recognition? Because there is a level at which your giving is going to motivate others to give and to give sacrificially by your example. I mean, when I cited George Mueller and, and what happened? You guys were like, whew. Now think about that. You know, that kind of turns, turns the paradigm. They're serving as a model. They're serving as, as an example for you to aspire to. All right. Another pitfall here is assuming that giving is only the only way you serve the church. Okay? Often, givers, especially bigger givers, they tend to think that this is the, kind of the only way they serve. You know, they, they fund things. They have a check-writing ministry. And they're tempted to easily give themselves a pass for the regular commitments of body life. Because they view their own service as so radical. They kind of look around and they're like, nobody else is cutting a $50,000 check. You know? I'm doing that so somebody else can stack the chairs. You know? And it's this sort of subtle pride that, that slips in there. They're tempted to easily give themselves a pass for those regular commitments of body life. Things that we're all called to as Christians. Because they view their own service as so radical. But if someone's truly generous, they have a generous heart, they're going to serve with their time as well, as, well as their money. All right, one final danger here is assuming that everyone else who doesn't quite give as sacrificially as you is stingy or selfish. They might be, right? They might be stingy. And your gift of giving 
should be the encouragement to help them. But don't just automatically assume motives. You don't know their financial situation, and you don't know what they're actually giving. It might surprise you. Or how sacrificial it is compared to their pay stub. All right, last question, real quick. How can I maximize it? These are pretty intuitive. Well, obviously, you want to channel your giving through a healthy local church. Make that kind of the, the fundamental channel. If you want to maximize it, talking about maximizing your money, maximizing your gift of giving, then God's church is the way to go. It's his plan for these things. Then also, strive to become a more industrious and productive worker. Okay? God's given you the ability to make money. Make as much of it as you can. Again, for the right motives. Wesley often said that, you know. Make as much money as you can and give as much money as you can. And he modeled that powerfully. Strive to become a more industrious and productive worker. Consider living in a way, another, another maximizing idea, consider living in a way that frees up more capital to have to give away. So one of the first things we think about when we get an increase in salary is, woo, I can do these new things, right? I can, build, I can buy this bigger house. I can buy this more expensive car. But the answer, if you have the gift of giving, if you have this gift, I mean, it, generally, this is a good principle as across the board, but if you have this gift and you think, I'm, I'm good at this, I, there's, a, there's a free-flowing element here to the gift of, that I have, this gift of giving, then you probably even want to think about lowering your standard of living at some level, so that you can have more to give away. Now, next thing I'd say sounds really practical, but seek to understand the world of finance better for the same reason. Don't be afraid of the market. Don't be afraid of finding a way, learning all you can about those things, because that's the way our culture works. Understanding investments and and return on investments and those kinds of things are very, very good principles this world of finance for the same for the same reason and maximizing those things. All right, and then finally, I would just say, load in your mind that you are earning eternal reward because that's what motivates. Ultimately, it's what motivates giving, and we could do several. We could do a mini series on that in and of itself because the Bible is so clear about that. You can actually use your money that's passing away for something that's of eternal value. I always give you the illustration. You play Monopoly. Somebody walks by and they're like, hey, you want to use that Monopoly money to buy you a real house? And you're like, huh? Didn't know it was possible. You know, I'm here I am in the game, just buying these little houses that are gonna we're gonna close the game up in 30 minutes or maybe four hours, how long however long it takes to play Monopoly. You're gonna close that game up and the game's over, right? Money's done, houses are done. That's like this life. The game's gonna close. But if you could use that money to buy a real house, Something of the kingdom that's going to transfer over into the new creation? That's a wise investment. So that is the ultimate motivation for giving generously. Um, And we could, again, look a lot more at that. So those are the gifts of giving and mercy. I hope that was helpful. Next week, uh, it's going to be our catch-all, because I knew I wouldn't be able to give you question time in this one. Okay, It'll be our catch-all, open-end, I'll, I'll leave it open for some questions, so if you have any, you want to write those in, I'll try to weave those into my sermon next week or answer those. Um, 
and I'll try to also give you some open-ended time so you can ask. But um, my main goal in that one is to give you some next steps. How do, what do we, so we've understood these gifts now. Now what? Like now, now what do we do with this new knowledge, all right? You are dismissed.